there, get ready. You are now listening to Talk of the Town with Jill and Carmen, the one and only podcast for the Mount Mansfield community. It doesn't matter if you just moved into the area or you are a fifth-generation Vermonter. This podcast is sure to delight you and inform you. Go ahead, sit back, and relax. Here are your hosts, Jill and Carmen. Hello and welcome to Talk of the Town with Jills and Carmen. I am Jills and I have here with me Carmen. Yes, hello. How is everyone today? I think they're good because they're listening, right? Can you believe it? (laughs) Episode two, here we are. I know, and I guess I was amazed too to, to find the statistics of how many people actually listened to our first podcast. Yeah, they listened and they sent in some feedback, uh, so it was pretty neat. Uh, I'm impressed. Yep, I yeah. am too. So thank you guys for listening, and as long as you uh, keep listening, we'll keep doing this. That's right. Yeah, yeah and so what we'll start off with is some, uh, you know, just some events that are happening uh, around the, the area. And I will start with Maple Weekend. Mm. Um, I know, I love maple. Uh, it's coming up Maple 25th and 26th and April 1st and April 2nd. And, uh, yeah, so we'll leave the show notes there about, uh, why don't you go to vermontmaple.org, actually. Yep. And it'll give you all the locations that you can go and take a tour and eat some of the, the foods that they have for you and uh, understand what maple means to Vermont. It means a lot, and so uh, I would encourage you, if if you're uh, new to the area, you've never seen this, absolutely make a day of it and go and see some maple sugar houses. Uh, But if maybe you're like me, I'm a crusty old Vermonter, and uh, I've been around for a while. I remember, you know, as a kid taking tours, and uh, my grandfather had a a farm, and, and he would do his own maple sugar and I remember he had a tractor and I'd go out with him and we would collect the sap in the buckets and pour it in the big bucket and and whatnot. And they don't do it like that anymore. It's no. They... When I grew up, I grew up in Maine. We had a neighbor who did it in the basement. So, I mean, they, you maple can, trees in her basement. They didn't have maple trees in the basement. No, but they boiled the sap and they must have gotten it from some other property or whatever. But, uh, you know, people did what they what they wanted to do to get that delicious maple syrup yeah so i went last year to moose mountain maple and i was blown away it's been a long time since i have been to a maple sugar house and seen the way that they do it like i said it's not uh yeah they're not taking horses and and going out into the woods <laughs> to collect the the sap it's all computerized they've got hoses amazing. it's it's amazing yeah, it's really neat, and uh, I don't know if they're going to do it again this year. Last year, Moose Mountain Maple, they gave uh, waffles. They, they gave you a waffle, and you could put syrup on it and taste the syrup, and they were also selling maple creamies. Uh, here's a veteran move. Take that waffle and put the maple ice cream <laughs> on top of it. Oh, man. I love that, man. Yeah. That's I'm the... going to have to – well, maybe they won't do it this year, but – well, maybe if they're listening to this, they're going to say, oh, we got to do the waffles again. So. <laughs> Either way, if you don't like waffles or maple creamies, but you like maple syrup, you certainly there's plenty of maple houses to uh, to choose from and make it a family day and enjoy yeah. the outdoors and support Vermont. Go all over. See the different ones. There's ones that are doing sh- uh, sugar on snow. Uh, some Some places do maple donuts. Mm. Uh, my diabetes, I think I'm going to have to take a shot of insulin right now just thinking about <laughs> all of this stuff. Well, for now, just go to vermontmaple.org and start there. <laughs> yeah, check it out. <laughs> okay, yeah. So our next item is uh, Egg Hunt. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Catalyst Church on Raceway is hosting the Egg Hunt again this year like they did last year. Uh, I guess they're going to have um, some popcorn, cotton candy, entertainment. Yep. And how many eggs? I've heard that there's going to be 10,000 plus eggs for the kids to find. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So this is just a little, uh, uh, put it on your date and be watching for uh, advertisements. Yeah, April 8th. April 8th, yep. Starting at 10, I yeah. think. All right. And uh, yeah, and we have, uh, you know, Front Porch Forum 
has been having a pretty serious discussion about driving. Yeah, I've been watching this one quite a bit. It interests me. And uh, people have an opinion on this one. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, mostly I sense that people are really concerned just f because of the speed and causing accidents or blind drives or children. Um, but we are interested in your comments. Yeah, uh, I've been, like I said, I've been following this on Facebook and uh, people are complaining, distracted drivers. Uh, they have all kinds of ideas of what to do. They're saying, let's get more police in, let's build sidewalks, let's enlarge the roads, let's do this, let's do that. Uh, so we all know what they say about opinions. Um, let's just go ahead. We have a phone number that you can call. Carmen, would you give them that phone number? Yes, the number is 802-858-5534. And I'll say that again, 802-858-5534. Go ahead and uh, leave uh, a message, leave your comments. You have about three minutes, so plan before you do it. Yeah, it's a three-minute recording session. But I'm curious, and we want to play them next next time we do this podcast, to hear people's ideas, suggestions, feedbacks. Yep. Yep. And they can also email us if you don't want to call and leave a voicemail. Sure. And that's talk of the town, vtpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. And we have a Facebook page too. There's there's other ways that you can get in touch with us. But really, um, I'm just curious to hear what your what your thoughts are. If you have an opinion on this, and I'm sure you do, and you want to share it with the community, because that's what we are. We're talk of the town. We're we're here talking about the things that affect you, uh, the, the things that uh, are happening here in the community, and also to talk about some of the businesses that are here in the community and the leadership that happens here in this community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of people, whether we see them in the forefront or in the background, that have a great impact on this community. And uh, so we want to be able to share those and be a resource. And, hey, you never know. You know, one neighbor connects another neighbor and a relationship starts and a lot of good can come out yeah. and make a better community. Speaking of people in the community and businesses and leaders, we had a conversation with Sharon from Snowflake Chocolates. That was an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, they are good people right there. Mm -hmm. It was a fun conversation we had. And we want to play it for you. Sure. So let's go to it. Here we go. Well, hello and welcome to Talk of the Town with Jills and Carmen. I'm joined with Sharon from Snowflake Chocolates. We're really excited to have this conversation. Yes, we are. And we just want to thank you so much, Sharon, for joining us today. Um, and so why don't we just get right to it? Yeah. So we've got a couple of questions we like to start out with before we go for, for the the tough stuff, like asking you the, the recipe for your family chocolate. <laughs> um, so our first question is, what is your most regrettable fashion choice? Well, oddly enough, this does sort of tie into Snowflake Chocolates because it is why, how we got to be here in Vermont, because our roots are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We moved here in 1972. My father was a banker at the time. Uh, his father and brother, my grandfather has had a candy shop in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My uncle was working with him and my dad realized that the business there was not big enough for he and his brother. And so he ended up uh, educating himself, to, his first generation in his family to go to college, put himself through school at the University of Pittsburgh with five kids, worked a full-time job, and then was expected to be at the chocolate shop, you know, on weekends and when he could to help out during the busy season. So we essentially moved to Vermont to, so we would not be raised in the city and also to, to provide a physical um, distance away from the chocolate business because he couldn't do everything. And I think that was the only way he could do it. I think it broke my grandfather's heart at the time but uh, it was all part of the plan, so to speak. And uh, so we ended up here. And ha so fashion choice regret? Well, that would be my first day of elementary school in Jericho, March 1972. I walked into the classroom, if you can imagine. 
This town was maybe 3,000 people at the time. It was a farm town. And in I walked with my purple satin hot pants, white go-go boots, a little skirt that went over my hot pants and a matching blouse. I did not own a pair of dungarees or jeans at the time. And I was the absolute laughing stock of the classroom. And that was my coolest outfit from Pittsburgh. But I became dubbed city slicker because children can be cruel. <laughs> and uh, so that's what they did. And, and I, I didn't own a pair of sneakers. I, we were city kids. And um, I will never forget that day. I will never forget, I will never as long as I live forget that day. How I felt as a 10-year-old, um, I felt, I had fallen down a rabbit hole. I mean, I had no idea. I, when we drove into this town, I was like, I didn't know what my father was thinking. Um, it was, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, no to the purple satin hot pants <laughs> and white go-go boots. <laughs> mm, didn't work. But convinced my mother we all did to buy jeans and we got sneakers and then I my friends that I made put me through a test to be a country girl and so I had to walk through a swamp climb over a barbed wire fence try to ride a cow um yeah hazing (laughs) so there you go there's the story that's a good story yeah it is good (laughs) so what movie would you be in if you could be in a movie, what would it be? If I could be in a movie, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Anything with Kevin Costner in it. <laughs> Content for movie, I'm not really sh- sure. I'm not really I'm not really sure. I don't watch a lot of movies. Um it would never be Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I was going to say that. Yeah. Don't don't use that as a cop-out because yeah, I was no, waiting for that. No, don't, okay, no, good. No, Hor- Horrible, terrifying movie to me. Um, I Honestly, I can't even think of one that would be what I would want to be in. Maybe Sabrina. Mm-hmm. That's a, a you know very old film, but I always loved that film. I wouldn't mind being Sabrina. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so... Maybe you've already shared it with us, but what is the funniest or craziest thing you've ever done? I'm not a super crazy person. I I like to have fun. Uh, there was that night, which was the last night of Church Street being a, I'm showing my age, when you could ride, you could ride, drive up and down Church Street. So the last night, and I can't remember what year that was, but we, we went down, me and my girlfriends, and we, at the stoplight, we stopped the car, we put on the soundtrack in our eight-track tape player <laughs> to Greece. We all jumped out, we started dancing, and like dancing on the car, and then the car's behind us, everybody started jumping out, we all just started dancing. I mean, it was really a bizarre moment in time, but... Um, it was fun, but that's probably the safest, craziest thing I can share. <laughs> I, I so I'm a Vermonter. Uh, I'm born and raised, but I did not know that you could go up and down Church Street. You could drive it. You are a young man. Uh, yeah, I don't exactly. feel like it. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, you know it. It would have been like 1979, maybe. I mean, I was in high school, I was driving, so it would have been somewhere between 78 and 80. Um, Maybe a little bit later if I was in college, but um, my memory fails me, but yeah. (laughs) Google it, fun times. Okay. (laughs) That's funny. All right, so let's get into some of the questions to learn about you and uh, snowflake chocolates. So you have a passion for chocolate, I do. So how does that translate into your business? Our passion for chocolate comes from, well, to my blood. It's my grandfather and my grandmother, uh, Mike and Helen Pollock, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And their story is such that my grandfather uh, is a first-generation American 
his father was killed in a coal mining accident outside of Pittsburgh. And when that happened, his mother could not, couldn't afford to raise all four of her children. So she essentially gave my grandfather to a Greek candy maker. And, and he went to work for him probably around the age of 12. And um, so he would work for this candy maker. And I later learned in life from my, one of my grandfather's best friends that he used to sleep on the, on the bottom shelf of a candy table. Um, but interestingly enough, this gentleman, this Greek gentleman, made sure my grandfather received a high school education and bussed him across town to a school so that he would get educated and uh, taught him the art of candy making. And so that is where my grandfather learned everything. He went on to, um, he met my grandmother. He, uh, interestingly enough, she was, he caught her stealing peanuts from him. <laughs> and that's how they met. Um, and then uh, he went to work in the steel mills, started his own chocolate shop, lost that chocolate shop, went back to the steel mill. Uh, he and my grandmother had four children. They lived in a row house. And in the basement of the row house, my grandfather built a candy kitchen. And so he would make peanut brittle and things and take them to the mill and sell them to the guys on break. And that was the beginning of who he was. He would later um, buy a shop across town, and which was an old speakeasy, and I don't know what existed there, but, you know, there, if it was actually an actual chocolate shop or whatever, but he met his friend Forrest through that business transaction, and Forrest stayed with him as a candy maker. And that's where Pollock's Candy began, and that was what is built into the business that it is today, and that uh, he and my grandmother worked very hard. My dad would make candy with his dad at the age of seven. They would get up and he would go and stand on a milk crate and help his dad. My dad tells stories about getting up at like five o'clock in the morning, going to mass at six, and then going to the candy shop and working all day and then coming home, um, you know, when school wasn't in. But he went to school. My grandfather made sure all of his kids were educated. And uh, so that business came to be and was, um, well-known and successful in Pittsburgh, and then we moved here. So that my passion for this business comes from my, my incredible memories of my grandparents. And my first 10 years growing up in Pittsburgh and going to see them at the candy shop, and we would run in, you know, my mom would take us down there because my dad was there at the time, and so we would, you know, all four of us would run in, and then my sister Shelly was a baby, and, you know, we'd scamper into the shop, and underneath the cash register was a, bag, a stack of bags, and we would each grab a little bag, and then we would climb up this ladder, kind of like a library ladder, if you will, and we would stick our grubby little hands in boxes and fill our bags, and that's, but that's what we were allowed to do, and then we were done. And then when we would go downstairs to say hi to Dad and to Grandma, and Grandma would be in the dipping room making clusters with her sister. So we'd sit on an old tin bucket and watch her for a little bit, and then we would walked down to the kitchen, but we were never allowed past a certain line into the kitchen where the bigger, you know, beaters were. And we, you know, we'd all, we were like a bag of puppies. And, you know, we'd be like, hey, you know, hi, Grandpa, hi, Dad. You know, my Grandpa would pat us on the head, and then he'd look at my grandmother, and he'd say, Helen, get these kids the hell out of here. And off we would go. Um, but I have, I have such fond memories of them. I can remember being at my grandmother's for uh, Sunday night dinner, and Grandpa would be on his way home, and Grandma would say, you have to be good. Shh, the, the machine broke today. Grandpa's in a crabby mood. And he would come in the door, but he was never really crabby with us. But he would come in the door, and I, I can never describe this. No one can understand this, but the smell, he permeated the smell of chocolate and pipe tobacco together which is such an incredible aroma to me to this day. Uh, sometimes it was cigar. Every now and then I'll catch my dad out on, we call it his fort. He has a bench in the backyard. And every now and then I'll catch him out there and he's, you know, maybe smoking a cigar. 
and uh, and he will have come right out of the shop, you know, at the end of the day. And I'll sit down next to him, and I'll get a whiff of that same scent, and I'll be like, "Wow, this grandpa." just it just brings me right back and I so my passion for this business is I work for my grandparents I in their memory I work for my dad who's an incredible worker and my mother and for the future for my son so that means as you grew up you went and started help helping and <coughs> with your dad so to keep fueling that passion my, grandpa, my grandparents would come and visit us, and they always brought chocolate. I mean, I had lots of friends because I probably had 50 pounds of chocolate in my basement all the time. People figured that out pretty quick. Um, and it was like, you know, chocolate's a food group in our family. We don't really, it, we don't think of it as something super special. It's just, it's who we are and what we do. Um, so we always had chocolate. And then when I went away to college, I, which was in Pennsylvania for one semester, I would go on the weekends and help my grandfather. And um, I would wrap boxes from seven in the morning until seven at night. And I would do that for two days, and then he would take me back to campus. But before we went back to campus, we would go down in his basement, and we'd put a, a, a case of Iron City beer <laughs> in a trash bag and hide it from my grandmother. <laughs> it's probably not the wholesome story you want to hear, but... It's very much the way life was in Pittsburgh. And then I, you know, then I came back home, and my father was a banker during all of this time. He had left chocolate completely. Uh, but when my grandfather passed away, my father found his recipes in his safe deposit box. And um, I don't know whether it was grief or what it was, but he, he tried to make peanut brittle peanut butter on the stove in our home. And he did. Next thing I know, he's making more peanut brittle. I'm in college. I'm coming home. The the marble top tables on the coffee table and end tables in the living room have been taken off, flipped over, and they're on the dining room table. And my dad is using them to dip chocolates. There's a melter, a candy chocolate melter in my brother's bedroom. <laughs> so my parents started making chocolate and just going to church fairs and craft shows and just started selling peanut brittle and butter crunch and chocolate at these shows. And I was finishing up my senior year in college and I was doing my student teaching at the time. And so I took this little order form into the teacher's room and some people had seen my parents and they're like, oh yeah, I'll order some. And that was the very beginning of Snowflake. Um, my, my dad had said at one point, you know, do you want to start a chocolate shop? How do you guys feel about that? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, no, you don't count because you have to finish your education. I'm like, okay. Um, so they ended up, um, my father continued to work full-time at the bank. They sold their property in Jericho and, and bought the one on Route 15, converted the old carriage barn to a candy kitchen, what is now my mother's dining room was the original shop and people would come into their home and buy chocolate in the front room. And um, it, it just, it just, I was in Pennsylvania at the time. I had gotten married and moved there. We had a, our son and decided we wanted to move back. And so we did. And I started working um, with my parents on nights and weekends so that I could stay home with Alex and um, that was 1988. We opened the shop here in 1986, um, and the rest is just kind of history. Hope I didn't make you fall asleep. No, no, no. no. It's really neat. I love to hear. I love to hear about the history. Yeah, actually, yeah. you know, and what people have have had to go through, or you know, just working really hard two jobs really well Not so my dad my mom and my dad both had jobs and so they would make the chocolate on the weekends and uh, my mother retired from her job at the school and so she you know she was running the shop full-time and then um, my dad eventually you know when we we built the addition which is where the store is now um, 
the retail part of it. My dad left, you know, his business and decided to do candy making full time. I was in the business at that point. Uh, eventually, 1985, 1986. Wait, no, 1990. 1990 is when my sister Shelley joined us. Uh, and became full-time. We opened the shop in South Burlington. She ran that for a while and then came back. And then through the years, uh, <clears throat> my sister Betsy joined us full-time. All of our children have worked in the business growing up. My son Alex actually is now the candy maker with my dad, and um, he's the future. And if you had told me that it would be my son that would carry this on, I would look at you and say, no way. <laughs> and he would have said the same thing to you, but um, he understands the tradition. He understands uh, it's not just a business to us. It is, it is our heritage. It is who we are and was always who we are even when we weren't candy makers, but it was there. It was just sort of bubbling waiting. It's your destiny. It is our destiny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you stepped into your destiny. Yeah. I love that. And, yeah, and it's really cool because some people could not do that. You know, they could just run away because of all these reasons. Um, but it's nice to see how eventually everyone came back. Like, you yeah, know? yes. It's very interesting and, and I have a uh, I have a brother who lives in Ottawa. We drove him out of the country because he can't stand having four sisters, <laughs> which is not really the truth, but that's what we say. He comes home uh, to see my parents, and when he comes home, he's in the kitchen helping my dad. And uh, my sister Diane, we laugh and say she has a real job, but she helps us with IT, and when we work evenings, she's always out there with us, you know, doing whatever she can on evenings and weekends. And... Uh, so we are all drawn. We are all drawn there. It's home. So with that said, you're, we're talking about family and how we're all drawn and we work together. How do you balance family life and work? You don't. I mean, you have your family, your immediate family, and then you have the extended. You don't. That's, that's, the, thing that <clears throat> that's the thing that's missing when you are self-employed and you have your own business uh, because you rely solely on yourself for your income. You, it's a rare time when you say, I'm not going in today because I'm going to do this instead. Uh, the beauty of us is that there are enough of us in the business that as we raised our children, and even now as we're, you know, some of us have grandchildren, it's, you know, I would like to do this, you know, can you cover that kind of thing? And the business has gotten to the point where we each have our own thing that we're doing in the business, even though we're trained to do all things. Um, I could, I can make candy in a pinch, but um, I don't like to be pinched to make candy because I'm not good enough at it, but I can do packaging. I think that was mine. Um, I can do packaging and... Uh, I, I hand dip, I can mold, um, I can make fudge, you know, I can do all of that, but it, it is very difficult. I worked really hard when I was raising my kids to make sure that, um, I can remember my mother saying that my father's family never had Christmas because they were always working, and I never wanted that for my kids, and so I would literally almost kill myself to make sure my children had a great Christmas. Um, you know, it takes a lot of effort, and you have to remind yourself, you know, especially when you're working together as a family, you tend to think, well, we're all here, so we're all still together. But <clears throat> it's hard, you know, and it's hard in this world today when kids are so active um, and doing so many different things. And I think it was easier back when you know stores were closed on Sundays and people didn't do anything on Sundays it was the family day and it's balance is, is a struggle it is an absolute struggle mm -hmm. so your priorities kind of drove though like wanting to have Christmas right your the priorities drove the some of that balance 
Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, and you know, I mean, I, I want to be at my son's hockey game and uh, or my daughter's, you know, dance recital. Um, we would just... Well, and when I was younger and the kids were little, I would work when the kids were in school, and I left at 3 o'clock. You know, we were small enough then that I could leave at 3 o'clock, and we had, you know, you find good employees to do that 3 to 5.30 stint. And my dad was there. My mom and dad were there. So that was, you know, that helped when they were younger. And I would leave, come home, make dinner, spend time with the kids, and on busy times go back to work. And my husband would, and the kids all grew up knowing, knowing that, you know, I, I worked weekends and I often worked evenings during busy times, but I don't think they ever felt unloved. I'll have to ask them about that. <laughs> good, good question. Like, I, I would say that they feel loved just for the simple fact that Alex is now the candy maker. Mm-hmm. He does not resent it. Mm-hmm. For the most part. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a time. Um, but you know, and because your whole extended family was involved too, I mean, there's that sense of you're in this together, right? And so I would, I would agree. They probably felt loved, but I'm sure you know. I think they felt too loved sometimes. I think um, speaking for my children and their cousins, uh, you know, it's a small town, and we're a big family, and those kids couldn't move without us knowing about it. <clears throat> and if we didn't know about it, somebody else knew about it and told us about it. So. <laughs> Um, there was that piece, uh, but no, I, I think everybody understands um, what this chocolate shop means to this family, for sure. I, I come from a, a big family. I'm from the, the Northeast Kingdom, um, and, and my family runs businesses. My grandfather was a farmer, so I learned very early on, you know, hard work and family, and when family needs you, you're there. Absolutely. And you just do it, and you don't. You just do it. It's not a grumble. It's not a complaint. It's, it's You'd rather do that than, than something else. Well, and it's a value. It's a, yeah. you know, you, you learn. Um, you learn. You learn the importance of hard work and, and family. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. absolutely. And when the chips are down, as Alex would say, when something's wrong with somebody in this family, it's wrong with everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when something goes on, every single one of us are affected, which is tough on our employees. It's hard to work in a family business with so much family right there in a small space. Uh, so, yeah, the ebb and flow of our family is not just felt by us, but, but by every single employee. Mm-hmm. Because, by extension, our employees become our family, too. Exactly. Right. And that is, I mean, that is one of the things, you know, when we, all of our employees know it's family first. Not just our family, but it's their families, too. If something happens, something goes on, and you need to take care of your family, that's where you go. We'll figure it out on our end. We've been in a pickle sometimes because stuff happens, and we'll be like, okay, we don't have anybody to work today. Uh, but we make it happen, and we just, you know, we, ha- we have, uh, we are old-fashioned. We are family-oriented. Um, we, yes, we are in this to make money because we, we're, we're trying to make a living. Um, I, once had, I once had a state representative when I was down in Montpelier, and this was very annoying to me. And we were talking, I was down there because we were t- they wanted to put a tax on sugar. And, you know, I was trying to explain, it was during a coffee hour and just milling around with all of the um, legislature down there. And the uh, representative from our area, when I was trying to explain it to him, at one point literally patted me on my head and said, you know, you just go back to your business. You know, you're, you're doing fine. You're making a lot of money. <laughs> my father looked at me because I'm pretty sure he was like, I'm not sure what's going to come out of her mouth. <laughs> And I just looked at this gentleman and I said to him, you know what, I want you to come work with me for two days. And he said to me, sure, um, you know, we're, we're out of session during the summer, I'll come and work for you. I said, no, that's not when I want you. I want you there in December. I want you there when I'm working on my sixth week of working a 70 hour week. I want you there for those two days. 
And he said to me, well, I can't come then. I'll be skiing. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of looked at him, and I was like... And then there was another gentleman who, who overheard the whole exchange, and he came up to me, and he said to me, you know what? He said, I grew up in a family business, and I can tell you that a number of people here don't have a clue what goes on in your world. So there you go. Yeah. But that is why you're successful. Yeah. Yep. I couldn't help but think that. Your, your family first and the hard work yeah. is why you're successful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it's a fight. It's a, it's a fight every day. Yes. Because as COVID showed us, you can lose what you have in a heartbeat. That's our next question. That is my Go next ahead. question. So um, <laughs> one, one of the, the things that I wanted to do with this podcast, why I wanted to do it was because I love leadership. I love business. I love kind of seeing what makes people Tick. Tick work. Yeah, how, what, people, how it impacts the, how it right. impacts. Yeah, so, you know, I, I love reading books on leadership and all of those things, but uh, I'm curious how COVID affected you and what you had to learn to implement to get you through it. COVID. <laughs> what do we all say about COVID? There's plenty been said, but yeah. everybody's reality was very different. As I heard someone say in you know, at the time was, we're not all in the same boat. We're in the same ocean in the same storm, but everybody's boat's a different size. That's right. And I couldn't have put it better myself. So interestingly enough, uh, I saw, in, I, I read somewhere on the internet, surely, <laughs> um, about a virus in China in December of 2019. Yep. And it struck me and I thought to myself, this is very interesting. I better keep an eye on this. And then I watched on Netflix a, uh, a, short, a short show on pandemics. And um, so that was interesting. And then I said something to my sister Betsy in January. She said, yeah, I watched that. That was really scary. And then I said to her, did you happen to see this little blip about this virus in China? And she said, yes, I did. So this was January. And we looked at each other and we said, okay, we got to keep an eye on this. I don't know why, but we just need to keep an eye on it. And then all of a sudden, it just started. Um, the end of January, you know, I, my, my mother had surgery and, and we were kind of watching what was going on. And, and so, you know, and, and that kind of, that's how I remember the timeline is, you know, what was happening with my family and my kids at the time. So we brought my mom home from her surgery and we got through Valentine's Day, and uh, it was normal. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you started reading more and more about what was going on. And then, you know, the first case in the United States on the West Coast, then the first case on the East Coast. And so Betsy and I looked at each other, and we were like, we need to be prepared to do something. This could really end up to be something terrible. And... What we were going to do to prepare was actually nothing. We were just talking about it. <coughs> but then it happened, and it was March, March 15th, and we, we sat down and we talked, and we were like, we're, we're going to have to close this shop, and we, we are going to have to keep Dad um, completely away from everybody. You know, we circled the wagon around our parents who are elderly, and you know have some health issues and then within a day we're sitting in the dining room all talking and we were like we have no choice we have to shut down and we have to send everybody home until we know more nobody knew anything yep. and it was absolutely raw panic and terror at that point yeah mm -hmm. and for us there's not going to be a paycheck coming into anybody unless we're selling chocolate so we were just like, that's not going to matter because we have to protect our family and our employees. And then the state, you know, was shut down within two days after that. Um, so we made the decision to bring the family. The, the family would continue because it was supposed to be only a two-week thing at that point. Yep. So the family would continue to come into the shop and make candy. Thankfully, we had a lot of Easter stuff ready to go. But we came in. 
And then we were not completely shut down because we are a food manufacturer. So that's how we were able to stay open, you know, to the point that we were. And then we started telling people that we could do um, takeout orders. And my sister found an app to put on our website for curbside pickup. And all mayhem broke loose at that point in time. Our community was amazing because everybody was stuck. Nobody knew what to do. Apparently eating chocolate was a good thing. And everybody just was trying to reach out to any sort of normalcy that they could at that point, which was making Easter still happen in your house. And it happened early enough that people had not bought, because it's such a last minute chocolate purchasing holiday, that nobody had bought what they would normally buy at Walmart or at the grocery store, so to speak. So suddenly, you know, we were it. And so we brought in two, three more employees came back and we gave, we gave our employees the option. We said that, you know, do you want to come back? Um, you can if you want. If you're uncomfortable, don't. Employees came back. Everybody was masked. We were wiping everything down. If you stood still long enough, you got wiped down with some <laughs> kind of Clorox or whatever. Um, it was crazy. The orders came in. Everything that was funneled through two stores was funneled through the website. And I literally sat printing orders all day, and I could not print all the orders that came in. And I, so I said to my sister, we have to shut the website down for 24 hours because I don't know if I have the product to fill these orders that have already been paid for. And, you know, we explained on the website all the while what we were doing, being very honest with our customers. People, for the most part, were incredibly patient. And then Vermont... Vermont got on the map because our numbers were so low. Mm -hmm. And so people across the country started looking at Vermont and suddenly snuffed like chocolates. It was, it was a very good thing for us, except that we didn't have enough employees and we were working super hard, which was wonderful, but we were exhausted and just as scared as everybody else was at that point in time. Uh, we had, I'll never forget my colleague, James. She, she was like a drill sergeant in there. We, would, we had bags of orders lined up, and then people would be lined up out in the parking lot. And she'd go out, and she would say, what is your order number? And, and so she would literally yell from the porch, and there was a table in the middle of the parking lot, and you just ran out, put the order on the, par on the table, then you ran back. And it was just like, it was just, if it wasn't so frightening, it was comical. Yep. It was absolutely comical. And that went on, um, you know, right through Father's Day. And even the summer was busy. 2020 was, and 2021 were difficult years working. We were incredibly fortunate that we were a business that survived um, and did well. Mm -hmm. To my father's credit, my father is extremely conservative financially, being a banker. Um, and so we... You know, as we added on to this business piece by piece, we weren't hanging on to any kind of huge loans of any kind. And I think that's what hurt a lot of businesses uh, when they, you know, like new restaurants and such. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we were able to just hold on and uh, make it work. And thankfully, um, none of us got really sick with COVID. We, you know... We did have a couple times when COVID went through the shop and we had to shut down for a few days to clear things out, but everybody weathered the virus okay. Um, not so fortunate for some friends of, you know, everybody in the shop had somebody that was affected by this. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, here we are, 2023, and life is totally different after COVID in business for everybody. There is the supply issues supply chain issues brought on by COVID, which probably would have come anyway, as I've read more and more in terms of the, um, you know, an aging workforce across the country. Um, you can't find products, you know, your ingredients, you're constantly looking, 
and the story is the same everywhere. It's like we don't have enough people to make everything we used to make, so we've had to streamline just to keep running. So it's, it's like hide-and-seek every single day. Uh, chocolate manufacturers of chocolate coating shut down. And so, you know, a, a candy shop, you make your insides of your chocolate. That's what you make. And you, you find a chocolate coating made by a larger manufacturer to cover your insides with. And so your chocolate is only as good as the inside of your candy because you can't, you can't put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> so if you have a really lousy tasting caramel, it doesn't matter how good that chocolate coating is that you put on the outside of it. If your caramel tastes terrible, people aren't going to like your chocolate. That's the prize was what's inside. Right. So you have to find the chocolate coating that complements your centers and your recipes. But in doing that, I mean, the chocolate, the chocolate industry has... There were many, many small family-owned chocolate manufacturers that made chocolate coating across the United States. We use a domestic chocolate. Those have been bought up over the last 20 years, little by little by little, to the point that they're all gone, most of them, maybe one or two left. And uh, your chocolate's being manufactured by food con conglomerates like Cargill Foods, they don't want to sell to the little guy. They want to sell to Hershey's and Mars and those people. So it's become increasingly hard and much more expensive to buy chocolate coating. I mean, there really is, I'm not somebody who's like a total, I hate corporate America kind of person and capitalism, because I'm not that kind of person. But I do see what big business and big corporate is doing to the small guys. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a clear understanding of that. And, you know, as my sister says, where Horton hears a who from Dr. Seuss, we can yell as loud as we want. They're, we're too small. They're too big. So, you know, we're back to that hide-and-seek trying to find, you know, yes, you can get your chocolate here, but you're paying three times what you used to for it, for the chocolate coating. You know, people come in the shop, we've had to raise our prices. And you should see the family fights that happen over raising prices <laughs> because you don't want to do it. You right. don't want to do it. But, you know, my sister, who's, you know, the finance queen, she says, what, are we in here not to make any money at all? We have to survive. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, so there, there's that piece of it. And then there is that piece of, you know, there are, you know, there are not enough people working. How do you get people to work? You have to pay them more than you normally would. And what do you do with the people that have been, you know, who have been so loyal to you for the last 20 years? You know, if you bring a new person in at $15 an hour because that's what you have to do to be competitive, what do you do with the person that's, you know, working mm -hmm. for you for 20 years? They're, they're worth more than you can pay them. Mm -hmm. And that's the sad part. But, you, you know, you try to figure it out, so you have to raise your prices. But the economy's tough. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Do you see my conundrum here? Yes, and you have a lot of, you know, you, it's, you've got challenges, but you also have success. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're determined still as a family to push through and work hard and make it work because it's your passion. Right. So, okay, you have this. Through all of that, what do you think is the most influential resource for that career? For us as a family? Yeah. I would say our connection to other candy makers mm. influences us the most. And why is that? Because they, because they know. Because we all live the same dream. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And you know, you can pick up the phone and call one of your candy friends and say, this is what's going on. Have you seen this? And they'll be like, yep, this is what we're doing, you know. Um, yeah, and there's also, there's also that picture of me dancing with my grandfather <laughs> that sits behind my desk on a bulletin board. And I look at that picture every single day. 
he did not live to see us start this business. My grandmother did, but my grandfather didn't. And uh, he's, he's the driving force behind me and my dad. Mm -hmm. And how about Alex? Um, I think family is the driving force behind Alex. You know, we've all, um, we're in it together. And it's as big of a pain in the butt as it is to him. Because it's, you know what, can you imagine going to work with your mother and your <laughs> two aunts every single day? I mean, really? They're like clones running around telling you what to do all day long. It's like you never grew up. God bless them. Exactly. Exactly. So he hides back in the kitchen with my father, which is perfect. Oh. Yeah. But your passion is what allows you to get through that. Yeah. And work with it. Oh, we drive each other nuts. We do. So we've heard the beginnings of Snowflake Chocolate. We heard how you you thrived through COVID. And and as a person who, from the outside, you know, because I'm, I watched a lot of businesses in this community and some exemplified how business is done and some were a case study of how not to do business. And you guys were the ones that thrived and, and kind of showed others how to do business and how to stay afloat. My question now is what's next for Snowflake Chocolates? Well... <clears throat> That's a really good question because we're asking ourselves that right now. <laughs> because my sisters and I are older. And for the, you know, this year was the first year that we said we can't work as hard and as long as we used to. Although when I say that and I'm whining, I look at my father, 83 years old, every day out in the shop, way before me. He and my sister are so much alike, just a machine. I was talking to Alex yesterday and he said to me, Mom, he said, you know Papa does the work of three people, right? I said, yeah. Wow. He said, how are we gonna do this? I said, I, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. He, you know, he's a machine. Um, the one thing that we will do moving into the future is we will not lose the human touch of chocolate. And we will not, even though we're being, so much of business is being forced to go, computer, you know, everything is, everything is pushing you away from personal interaction. And we will hang on to that for as long as we possibly can. And I mean, the focus will continue to be our customers and our customer service, a good quality product for as reasonable a price as we can and still make a living. Um, I always had big dreams. I wanted, to, I wanted to start this shop, you know, move the shop and have this, you know, where you could take tours and you could look down at us making chocolate and then there would be windows of the holidays like in the cities, the window shopping that you would do when you were little. Um, oh, I had, I had, I would, I have big dreams. Running out of time, um, but there's, there's still. I mean, I would love to. Um, I would love to do. I, I don't know. I, you know, this is a very difficult question. The future is staying in business and being successful at it. How do we do it? I don't know. The world is changing. Everything is changing. So how do we hold on to who we are as a business? You know, if you move your business and you go into a, you know, a steel building, who do you, we lose who we are mm -hmm. at that point. Yep. You know, stuff like chocolates is a cottage industry that crams a ton of people in a small space, whether you're working there or buying there, yep. mm -hmm. or trying to get in and out of the parking lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's kind of a little game we play. We have outgrown our space a million times. We are too big to be small, and we are too small to be big. I don't know what the answer is for the future. Honestly, I don't have an answer for that. 
And it's a question we ask ourselves every single day. I don't, I don't know. Have any thoughts? No. <laughs> you know, just a comment that because you're so committed to it, I think eventually it's coming. Because you're, you're thinking on it and time is going by and while you're still thinking and having it in the forefront because it's such a passion and you have what your father has and your grandfather, that what's that word ingenuity? Yeah. That, that the necessity of being versatile and invention, the, the, what the mother invention, all these, I think it, it, it comes when you keep talking about it when you keep working hard and you have a major influence you said the candy makers maybe they know call them you know ask around but I, I appreciate that part of you saying you know how do you how do you be versatile and still stay who you are because being versatile helps it's you know it's trying to embrace social media is difficult I don't I don't have the expertise for it but I'm you know, I'm trying. Um, but that's, you know, I have people say, you need to do more of this with Instagram and more of this with Facebook and get on TikTok. I'm not thinking, no way. <laughs> if Snowflake Chocolates is on TikTok, it's because somebody else puts it there. It won't be me. Um, you know, I'm so old-fashioned. Yes, I am. I absolutely am. And I'll probably go to my grave with that. And there's a lot of woulda, shoulda, couldas. And that'll probably be the story of my life in, in this business. Uh, I think big, but. So does Snowflake Chocolates have any social media? If people are listening and they want to get in touch with you or they want to see more, what do they do? We do have an Instagram, Instagram account, Snowflake Chocolates VT. Um, we do have a Facebook page. And um, we have our website, which is snowflakechocolate.com. Not S, no, not plural, snowflakechocolate.com. Somebody is cyber-squatting on our... Ooh, those punks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I do, I have started writing again for a while. I, I had writer's block, but I, I have a little blog on our website um, that I do. And um, sometimes, you know, the antics of the day get put up on, on uh, Facebook more gets put up on Facebook than Instagram at this point because I'm I, I can do it easier on Facebook because I'm old school. Um, so that that would be the places to look for us. If you have questions, you know, I just tell people stop in. You know, just stop in. Somebody's, you know, we're happy to talk to you, happy to help you find what it is you're looking for. If you've never had our chocolate, if you're one of those people that's been driving by for ten years, please stop in. Yeah. And the other thing is, when you come in, you need a sample. And I am more than happy to give you a sample of whatever it is you would like to try, because why would you go into a chocolate shop and not even taste their chocolate? Right. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that to me is like, come on, you know. And I'm not going to just hand you a buttercream. I mean, I know lots of people love buttercream, but I'd be like, oh, that's nice. It tastes good. Um, but, you know, try all of our creams. They're hand-rolled. People don't make them that way anymore. They're so different than somebody else's creams. It's crazy. It's like, oh, I don't eat creams. Well, you've never had ours. <laughs> you come in and have a maple cream and then tell me you don't yeah, eat Yeah, come on. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what would you, what would you, um, what advice would you give your younger self? Run. <laughs> no. Um, what advice would I give to my younger self? My, I would tell my younger self to be more confident in my passion. It's a good word. It is a good word. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you're instilling that into Alex. Well, it's interesting. And it's interesting because I would tell you, you know, deep family secret, um, that I think that is, I, I, I think we don't believe in ourselves enough. We believe in our past and we believe in our family, and we believe in our product, but I think we constantly underestimate ourselves. You know, we're always hesitant to try something different 
in case we fail. But I would tell my younger self, don't be afraid to fail. That's good advice. I, <laughs> speaking of failing, I did this one thing. I was so excited about it. I sent out letters, invited all kinds of real estate agents and corporate people to this open house for corporate gift giving in the holidays. Come and see us, get a 10% discount, here's a coupon, blah, blah, blah. I went all out. I, I took a risk. One person came. One person. And she came because she knew my father. I gave her a hug. <laughs> but I was like, wow, what did I do wrong? I still don't know. Sometimes it's not that we do anything wrong, but it's maybe it's not our way. Life is busy. And, you know, and, yeah. Yeah. The, the corporate world out there doesn't really know snowflake chocolates, and that's, um, that's unfortunate because I, I think corporate gift-giving, when they do it, you know, when you put your, when you put your business behind another business that is a family business and believes in their product, uh, it's going to believe, it's going to mean a lot more and it's well received. Mm -hmm. uh, and those who come to us with corporate business usually stay with us. And you know, our prices are far more reasonable than our competitors are. Uh, and we would work hard to do that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, we need to believe in ourselves. And that's true of every single person that walks the earth. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Don't be afraid to take that risk. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, our, you know, if you sum it all up, we're family, we're tradition. But first and foremost, we are faith. You know, we were, we were brought up in faith. Um, and being a Catholic Christian is important to us. And... You know, back to those stories about my dad going to Mass. Um, we just, we trust, we walk. That's what we do. And we work hard. Because mm -hmm. I always think to myself, you know, there are two things. God helps those who help themselves. you got to work hard for what you get. And to whom much is given, much is expected. So that's the other piece. You know, we got through COVID and we got through COVID well. So what are we going to do? You give back. You find a way to give back. Be appreciative and thankful. Yeah, and you treat your customers well because you don't survive without them. So their families are your families. You know, if that bunny isn't in an Easter basket on Easter morning like it has been for the last 10 years because I don't have that bunny, that's a problem. It's one, it's just one of thousands of bunnies to me. It is one bunny in one basket for one person who's always had that buddy. You have to be aware of that. The impact. Yeah. 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 The life it gives. I love chocolate. <laughs> uh, well, when are you guys over here again? I'll bring some over to you. Thank you very much. Sorry, I, nope. I talk a lot. I love it. Thank yeah. you, Sharon. This has been awesome. If you're listening and you've never been there, you need to go. And uh, husbands, make sure on Valentine's Day you get your chocolate-covered strawberries from Snowflake. And Easter, get your bunnies there. And, every, and you know what? And any other day you want to make someone's day. And this, I tell people all the time, random back of kindness. You know, pick up a four-piece box of chocolates and give it to somebody and say, here, thinking about you today. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be a one-pound box. You know, it can just be a sea salt caramel bar or an Oreo cookie covered in chocolate. Something simple, just to bring a little sunshine and sweet to someone's day. Mm -hmm. All right. Welcome back to Talk of the Town with Jills and Carmen. What a wonderful conversation we just had. Wasn't it? Sharon is a hoot. I really like Sharon. Yep. She was just so down to earth and... Um, and very uh, vulnerable and honest. She was. And what a great family they have. Just pillars here in this community. I enjoyed talking to them. And so we're curious what you thought of it. Absolutely. Because I know for us, we were really fascinated with the history and how that affected her life and, and the whole family's life and the business. So what do you think? Go ahead and send us um, a message. You can uh, call 802 
858-5534, or you could email us, talkofthetownvtpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check our show notes, and uh, you can get that information there as well. Yeah, so uh, reminders that the 25th, 26th, and 1st and 2nd of April is the Maple Sugar Open House. Go out and support local businesses. While you're out driving from one sugar house to the next, stop at <laughs> Snowflake, Choc- Snowflake Chocolate and get yourself some maple cream. Or- um, yeah, and just put on a date. This is an FYI, April 8th for the egg hunt. Yep. And so we're curious how you're feeling about this. I mean, we're already, we're, I've already exceeded expectations and are on episode two. I didn't yeah. know we'd make it this far. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been pretty it's been pretty fun, and uh, we can see how it's already kind of like exploding because of just the the inspiration we're kind of getting from interacting with people and talking through this ourselves. Yeah, we've got some good emails already, and so if you have one, or if you have a bad one, if you want to say, hey, stop, you don't keep don't keep boring us. <laughs> uh, Go ahead and let us know. Well, yeah. We're curious to, to know. So leave us some feedback. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play your voicemails. Like us on Facebook. Yeah. The community mm-hmm. uh, Facebook pages. Yep. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Episode two. You've been awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to Talk of the Town with Giles and Carmen. The podcast for the Mount Mansfield community. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again next podcast.